series in 1 Peter where we're, we're calling it Summer Shorts as we take a brief look at a number of passages and walk through the epistle or the letter of 1 Peter. And we're going to pull on occasion from 2 Peter as well as we get an understanding of this congregation probably located in Rome is our understanding. And this congregation is facing a time of great trial, and they're very tempted, very tempted to actually leave the faith, to deny Christ in order to preserve their life itself. We believe if you are a teacher or a preacher, one of the questions that you're going to ask yourself as you prepare the message is, who am I talking to? If you're invited by another church to your come and teach a Sunday school class or preach a sermon and say, well, tell me a little bit about the congregation. What's the culture like? What are the people like? Well, Peter, who was also known as the Apostle of Hope, would tell you that the listeners and the readers, the recipients of this letter that would have been preached out loud to a congregation there in Rome is a congregation that every day is challenged. They face trials. They are challenged every day, but they're facing them steadfast. They're facing them by standing their ground. And they're facing it because of the great hope that they have. Not only that Christ abides with them in suffering, but that they have a hope of an eternal home with Him. That Christ has a plan. And though in this life they may not understand the purpose for their suffering, as it says in verse 6, that he can use those grievous, grievous things that they face. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The word grieved there is softened in English. But it would mean to say that you literally, your life is threatened. You're grieved. You're facing a burden of the fallen state of the world. There's, a, there's, a, there's actually mourning that would take place. It's written in the 60s. And we believe that it's written after A.D. 64. July the 24th, A.D. 64, would be a date that would forever live blazed in the minds of these Christians and many to come for years and years. Because it was on that day that the Emperor Nero, we began, began the flames that would consume Rome over a period of three days. Having a great desire to rebuild Rome in his own architectural dream and fantasy, he burned Rome. But he had to have a scapegoat. So he blamed the Christians. And formerly where this peace-loving, gospel-centered, Christ-following, God-worshipping Christian people had quietly served and lived their lives in Rome, Un uninhibited, now they're put in the target so that they could come to a worship service like this and they could look in the empty seats might very well be members whose lives have been lost in the course of the last week 
or month or year because they would be falsely accused and the trials that were grievous to them were even the loss of physical life. But certainly there would be other forms of suffering as well. Maybe the suffering and the angst that comes because when put on trial and being asked, are you a Christian, they would say, no, I'm not a Christian in order to preserve my career or to preserve the safety of my family. And then they would struggle with that spiritual denial of having denied the very one that they love to love him. Imagine as you, if you would, Emmanuel, AME this morning, as they're found in worship, there's a day that will live in all of the mind of Charleston and Anthony, June the 17th, 2015. We're at a Bible study. There were members that there will be missing, nine of them, this Sunday morning as they look around and they would say, they are not here. They're no longer with us here on this earth. But what is their hope? Funeral service after funeral service, Sermon after sermon, I am sure, at Emmanuel. The only hope that can come to us when we are most free is the hope of eternal life forever with the God who has made us and has put his love upon us in Jesus Christ. And through the forgiveness of our sins, we have a very sure and confident hope in a place that is imperishable. Well, that's the nutshell of the sermon this morning. But there are just a couple of things that I want to point out for you to drive it home. If you look here in verse 3, Peter breaks out into doxology, even in thought, of what he's about to tell them. And what he's about to tell them is that as Christians, we have a living hope. Now, if you have not placed either your present life or your future hopes in God. And as Paul writes in Ephesians 2, verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, without the assurance that God is now my Father through the forgiveness of my sin, the future is in doubt for me. I have no hope. And we have found that the course of our life, the course of our future life, how we manage reality day by day, be it suffering or joys, is based on our hopes. Your hopes right now set the course of your life. What you are putting your hopes in is setting the course of your life. And Paul would say, those that do not have the relationship with God as Christians, the future is very dark. The future is very cloudy. There is little or nothing to put their hope in. And Peter comes and he says, but those that are followers of God, you have a hope, and it's a living hope. And he says that this hope is this. In verse 4, he says this living hope is an inheritance that is imperishable. And I want to tell you this morning that if it's a living hope, then that means that it's more than just organic. 
but it's a seed that is planted in me and it is growing. It's alive. It's not to be something that is just dormant, passive, but it's growing. And as it grows, it's growing stronger within those who are followers of Christ. Such that I would dare to say that to the degree that you have this hope, and to the degree that it is living and growing stronger and stronger in you, to that same degree is your Christian maturity. Let me try to illustrate. You remember when you were growing up that perhaps your parents would take you to either a wall or a doorway in your house, and they would say, okay, let's see how tall you are today. And then you'd stand and get back against the, the wall there and then make a mark. If you came back a year from now and hadn't grown, then there might be some concern. If you came back five years from now as a young person and had not grown, then there would definitely be a concern there. Christian maturity can be judged or marked by the expectancy, by the inspiration, by the confidence, and by the courage that we have in our living hope and a living hope that is placed in our inheritance. Peter says three things about this inheritance. For the word inheritance, he says, it's imperishable. In other words, it cannot be taken away. It's undefiled. It cannot be polluted by impurity. And then number three, it's unfading. It cannot wither away. And we do believe that this inheritance that he is talking about is our eternal home in the heavens. Home. Remember last week we were talking and, and I said last week I wanted to leave you with the the metaphor of being a resident alien. That this world is not our home. But neither are we tourists. We're not simply saying, oh, I just want to see things here and experience things and then go on to heaven. We're here to make a difference. We're here as servants. We're here as proclaimers. We're here to minister to those around us. We're here with a purpose. But this world is not our home. Therefore, we're alien in the sense that our citizenship is in heaven. God says you can hope and you can draw strength, particularly in the face of trials and temptations, by being nurtured by this living hope in your inheritance. Now, some of you may say, well, you know what? God, God is what I look forward to. The face of Jesus Christ. Being in the presence of God, my Father. I, you know, it's not so much a heavenly home. It's not so much a heavenly domain that I consider my inheritance. God is my inheritance. That's well and good. I agree with you. But it doesn't have to be either or. In the Bible, these two are frequently used synonymously. That our inheritance is indeed God himself, but it's also his property, his domain, his home. It's not simply that he invites us to live with him, but he invites us to live with him in his home. The prodigal son. 
when he came to his senses by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, such that he could see his sin and his need for forgiveness, cried out in repentance to God, and he said, I have sinned against heaven and against you and earth. He would use it as a synonym. It's not simply to say that, that God is saying just me, but God says, I want you to have a part of my home as well. I can remember, I can remember uh, many years ago that my mother sat me down and my two brothers prior to her death, a couple of years prior to her death, and she said, to one side, here's some farm property that I've bequeathed to you. To another brother, she said, we've got a rental property, I bequeath and sign that over to you. Bill, to you, I sign over the home place. Because you, each, it had a bearing upon each of us personally. But she said, you and ministry have lived from home to home to home to home and have never had a permanent home. And she said, I know how you and your children think about this place of your birth. It's always been in our family, the home place. This is your inheritance. Very strange but something transformed in me that moment, in my mind that day. I began to think, you know, if through some trial in this life I go broke, I can always go home. If in some financial disaster or calamity or draw upon every resource I have, then I have the home place. I can always go there. I've always got that as a shelter. That is so small compared to what Peter comes and he says. He is saying you have a living hope in a home that is promised to you with God in that dwelling as well. Okay. Now some of you are saying, yawn, sleeper, so what? Let me just ask you, what hope? What hope do you have that allows you to face both trials and temptation? Because when he talks about it in various trials, the word for various means colored, just like there are various colors of paper. But he's saying some of these trials are actually fierce temptation where you would compromise your faith. And some of these trials are physical trials, physical suffering. Other might be the loss of a career, also affections of, a, of another. But he said there's various colors of trial. And it's your hope. It's what you're putting your hope in. Your trust that it will be there in the future. That it will carry you through now. But it's going to be there. And I'll only pick one term this morning because of uh, the brevity of the message. Imperishable. What hope do you have that is imperishable? What hope? What are you putting your hopes in? And it's where you go whenever you face any trial or temptation. When you face any threat or suffering or anxiety or fear, what is it that you go to that gives you life? For many of us, it might be the affections of others. It might be the acceptance of a community. It might be health. It might be career. It might be children. 
But do we recognize that those things will perish? They can perish, they can vanish in a moment. But Peter comes and he says, there is one thing that is found to be imperishable. It's the inheritance that is promised to you. How will we know? Well, he says again in verse 6, he says, you'll know if you can, and I would, I'll try to translate because it's, it's pretty wordy here and it's big concepts. But he's basically saying when you add suffering to a person's life, the validity and the strength of their hopes will be revealed such that they can face those sufferings even while grieving, suffering, in pain, and still have joy. Let me say that again. Your hope is judged to be imperishable. Your hope, whatever it is that you've placed your, your trust in, is found to be strong and valid. If in the face of suffering, when suffering comes to you, you run to that hope, even in your pain, even in your tears, and it still gives you joy. It gives you some comfort. C.S. Lewis, writing in Screwtape, touches on the power of this, the power to even assault the darkness behind all of the sufferings. When he writes in Screwtape, and he has Screwtape talking to Wormwood, kind of a nephew apprentice about his client. And he says, our master, meaning the devil, cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. God wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even when they stumble. Do not be deceived, one word. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring, but still intending to do God's will, looks around upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken, and yet he still obeys. In looking to verse 7, Eugene Peterson in his translation, the message is only he can do, says, Genuine faith put through this kind of suffering comes out proved genuine. When Jesus wraps this all up, it's your faith, not your goal, that God will have on display as evidence of his victory. In other words, your faith, with the trials that you face every day, though very humble compared to many around us, the trials and the temptation that you face every day, the hopes that you nurture of your relationship with God and your promised future gives you strength to face those trials. And when suffering comes to you, 
grievous trials that would make us at times even fear that I might be abandoned. I don't see God. And yet we put our faith there in the hope that we have a relationship with Him and that even though unseen it is still there, even though heaven unseen is still waiting for me, that God looks at that. When my faith is put in that kind of fire, God looks at it and says, that faith, little one, that faith that you have right there, even when you don't sense my nearness, that faith that you have cast upon me, that hope that continues to live in your life, that is like gold to me. It's more than your gold. Such that in verse, at the end of verse 7, Peter says, it may be found at the end of time when we do go before God. It may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the praise and the honor and the revealing of Jesus Christ is all to you. It is Christ who will praise you. It is Christ who will honor you. It is Christ who will reveal himself to you. And at that point, I believe you'll see the purpose behind all the trials, temptations, and suffering that you have faced. It is worth it. Perhaps the deed in hand, he will say, extend from the right hand of God, he will say, you are my child. You are God's son or daughter. Here is the deed to all that is behind me, all of your heavenly inheritance that is your forever home with God, with Son, the Holy Spirit, and all the saints that have gone on before you and will come after you. That's a living hope that will hold you up in the tears and the trials that you face. And I dare say it will hold you up when you face temptation, when you're tempted to compromise, that you can think, I Some of you, particularly, I think those of you that are younger, if you get older like me, home starts to get a little closer. Maybe I'm getting a little closer to home. But when you're younger, many times we're so focused on relationships and community or material purchases to, to give us a sense of hope and joy. The future looks so hopeful that many times just this world and the environment here is where I've put my hopes. But I want to tell you, as I said earlier, suffering coming to only earthly hopes, that career, that child, that mate, that friendship, that health, that amount of money, those hopes there, when suffering comes, suffering will destroy you. It will perish. Suffering with those things alone, suffering will destroy. It will destroy those things if we put our hope in those things. To lose a child, lose a career, lose health, lose a friendship, we're devastated. This is imperishable. Suffering can come, though it's grievous and it will hurt. It will only strengthen the brightness of our hope. 
Now, how do I know that it's imperishable? How do I know that it awaits us at this table? You see, Jesus Christ is not at this table in a physical form. Jesus Christ bears the fact that our hope is alive even as he keeps it alive because physically he's at the right hand of God. But he wants to feed our faith in the midst of the trials that we face. He wants to feed our faith with himself. And so he feeds us every Sunday at the Lord's table with himself to communicate this. Because I was broken, you won't be broken. Because I perished, you will not perish. Because my blood was shed, you are completely forgiven. And it's not about even your goodness or even the strength of your faith or the strength of your hopes as much as it is the object of your hope, the object of your faith, the person of Christ in your life. This table, these elements, represent the promise of eternal home where we will feast with the very one who's observing our faith even now. And he not only observes our faith, and he does not, he, he is quickening our faith, he is strengthening our faith, and he does so through this table, which is a reminder of the suffering that he faced, such that he come to us and say, the suffering that you will face is small, but it will cause your faith to grow even into the wondrous hope and the promise of heaven that you have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would pardon us when we have small hopes. I also ask that you would pardon us when we've been angry with you, when the things that we have hoped in have perished or disappeared or disappointed us. I ask that you would raise and nurture and strengthen our living hope this morning. As we come to this table, we recognize we're a people of your name, and we're a people, a title people, Princes, princesses, sons, daughters of the Most High God. And that when we face trials and suffering, though we may not know the purpose, there is an end. There is a purpose. There is a reason. And it's that our faith might be matured, it might strengthen, it might grow, and that our hopes might become clearer. Our hopes might become stronger. So, Father, with the hope that we eat this now in community with one another through the fellowship of Christ and forgiveness of sins, we will eat this and feast again in the heavens. It is promised and it's in that that we put our hope. That you abide with us now and forever, even as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.